Hello there. Hello, Drew. Nice to hear from you, sir. Likewise, likewise. All right. So this is the uh, Uncle Drew podcast. I am your host, Uncle Drew. And with me today, I have my best buddy, my best friend, Renee. Uh, I feel that he is probably the most knowledgeable person. That's why I wanted to have him on about tennis today. Most knowledgeable yeah, yeah. person. Best friends in the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we're going to talk about tennis today. My previous podcasts were all about basketball, but I needed to do a tennis one, so I needed to have you on. That's right. All right. So uh, where are you from, sir? So I'm born in Halifax, Canada. Okay. Me too. Me too. And uh, we, we've been all over the world. Uh, now you're back in Halifax, and I'm actually living in Brazil at the moment. Yes, that's right. You've traveled and I have not in the last two years, I'd say. And uh, I, I definitely want to get down there and check out these nice tennis courts you've been sending me pics of. Oh, man. It's a huge tennis culture down here. Brazilians love tennis and the weather is perfect for it. <laughs> Looks like it. Looks like paradise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So I have some introductory questions here. So uh, my listeners, listeners being my brother and maybe my dad, uh, can get to know you. Awesome. It's good to have a crowd. <laughs> I don't know if two people's a crowd. No, I think uh, three, three minimum. <laughs> so how old were you when you started playing tennis? I was seven. I remember uh, my dad started to put a racket in my hand and said, all right, we're going to go to a little recreational court and try to get the hand-eye coordination thing down. So he played growing up when he was like in his 20s and teens. Uh, so he was keen to teach his little son as soon as he could. Sounds good. And who was your favorite tennis player growing up? Growing up, I would say that Agassi was my favorite player, just how fast he moved and how consistent he was. And I know Pete Sampras was kind of the top dog, but Sampras couldn't win the clay, uh, clay courts like uh, French Open and a lot of the Monte Carlos, but Agassi could win any surface. So I kind of like that diverse player background. Sounds good. And who's your favorite player now? Well, good question. Um, I'd have to say there would be three answers to this because it was Agassi growing up when I was a teenager. But you got to remember Nadal wasn't on the scene yet. And uh, Nadal was my favorite player uh, ever since he came on the scene for kind of the same reasons. He was just a, 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 a versatile player, mostly clay court specialist, but winning a couple of Wimbledons doesn't hurt. And I'd say now, though, most of recent, like the last couple of years, it's been Denis Shapovalov, just the young Canadian who has a fiery game, like really exciting game to watch. Um, he will he will hit himself uh, into the ground and lose a match, or he'll blast his opponent off the court. And uh, those opponents have included people like Nadal. Yeah, it's funny. Shapovalov is from Toronto, and you might not know this. You're not a big basketball fan, but the Raptors used to shoot a lot of threes, and they used to say live or die by the three. So it seems like Shapo is living or dying by the big, big, bulky shots. Perfect. Yeah, perfect uh, uh, metaphor analogy for basketball tennis. <laughs> he just goes for it. He goes for serves, shots, everything. He does. He, he's kind of he's pretty fearless. I like him. Um, now, one thing I'll just mention about that. Do you do you like Nadal and Chapo just because they're lefties like you are? Hey, that's a reason. I mean, when you <laughs> when you're a lefty man, it's kind of like you're in a club of a minority club that you kind of look out for other people like you. Like I would say 
Almost more than the lefty thing, though, what makes me like Nadal is he's a ground stroker. He, he, he traditionally was a baseliner, and that was my game. So whenever I see the Spaniards play, I, I, I fucking love them all because they're all, they're all clay court, baseline, ground strokers, and I can kind of like relate to that game. So I'm a big fan of uh, that game style. Now, quick question for you. Uh, was McEnroe left-handed? Good question. I don't know. I don't I'm, know the I'm looking, oldies. I'm looking right now. He was left-handed. I remember that now. Uh, yeah, and you know what's interesting? Only 10% of the world is left-handed. So for, you know, you're left-handed, my dad's left-handed, and then you got McEnroe, Nadal, Chapo, and some other players. But it's pretty cool, man. You don't see a lot of lefties because it's only 10%. You know, that 10% rule, it seems to be for a lot of things. Like, apparently 10% of people are gay, okay. right? 10% weird turn. Yeah, well, uh, you know what I mean? Like 10% of people, I mean, we could keep going. Like maybe 10% of people eat uh, bananas. I don't know, but I feel like 10% is one of those weird rules. But I would say that when it comes to saying 10%, I like the weird turn here, 10% uh, of people is gay. Well, that's really hard for us to uh, measure because some people are in the closet, you know? Um, but when it comes to measuring left-handedness it seems like that'd be easy to measure right it wouldn't it wouldn't because there's a lot of left-handers in the closet too because they got beaten by nuns growing up right the whole catholic so you you kind of got casted out if you were a lefty in, in a lot of generations oh, before yes. us so there's some there's some lefties in the closet too man interesting interesting same closet same closet huh that's a that's a pretty uh pretty packed closet Okay, yes. so, <laughs> yeah, so, it's gonna have a bunch in it. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so, uh, what do you think is your best tennis attribute? I think my best tennis attribute is my speed. I think uh, being able to run down balls and make the opponent hit one extra ball has been uh, my my best attribute. Awesome, awesome. I would agree with that. Seeing you play a lot, uh, and what kind of racket do you use? I use a, a Babolay, and uh, it's just super light, and that's what's been kind of working for me, uh, just from injuries and whatnot. So I got a super light racket. And I know Nadal uses a Babolay. Uh, Chapo? I, th good, I think Chapo does, actually. Yeah, I know Nadal does, but I think, yeah, I think, I'm not sure. We'd have to check that out. Okay. Um, so, uh, I like how you say Babolay because, um, you're, you're part French, so you get that. A lot of people would just say Babolat, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, okay, very good. So, we're going to move on now. Actually, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Chapeau uses a Yonix. That's a racket for, uh... For more badminton, I've seen that more in badminton than I have in tennis. That but, is definitely oh. more dominant in badminton, but uh, Chapo uses Yonix and so does Warinka. Warinka so, does, that's right. Yeah, so there are a few. Okay, very good. So the last question before we get to the big question about the big three and the GOAT. Uh, do you remember how many countries you and I have played tennis in? I would have to say four. Four or five. It's actually five. At Philippines... Canada, Vietnam, Thailand, and Korea. That's right. That's right. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's nice to take a little trip down memory lane. So, I mean, Canada was 2011 and 12. Thailand was 2012 Christmas. Korea was 2013 before your injury. Philippines was 2015 post-injury where you were feeling a little bit better. And then Vietnam was 2019. 
That actually is right. Yeah, all five countries. Wow. Isn't that funny? What was um, your favorite of them uh, all? My favorite for you and I to play in was Thailand because we played in a hotel, on a, on a court, on, in a hotel on the 13th floor in Thailand, Bangkok. Yeah, man, that was a sick view. That was such, and we played every day. Like we didn't, we didn't cut out or, or bitch out any day. We were out there after the bars, two, three a.m. drinking, and then the next day we're on the tennis court. Yeah, and there's something about playing on a court uh, on the twelfth floor of a hotel. That's just really cool. <laughs> well, it's kind of like what Federer did with Agassi in Dubai on that friggin' yes. open surface tower, right? That's it felt right. like that's what we were doing. Yeah. That was an amazing thing that Federer and Agassi got to do. So cool. Um, okay, so here comes the big question now, uh, which we're going to try to tackle today. Is there or will there be a definite GOAT for tennis? No, absolutely not. Okay. All Anyone right. who answers otherwise, they just don't, uh, they, they don't have an objective enough mind about the, the whole game. And I can go into detail about it, but man, like, we, we are lucky, you and I, because we have been in tennis the tennis world during the golden age, man. Like you take all the best players of basketball. I don't know who they were. They could have been Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James or something. But imagine they're all playing together, breaking crazy records for 15 years straight. And then you say, all right, well, who's the best? Well, man, they're all, you know what I mean? It's yeah. that kind of discussion in tennis. We're just in a golden age right now. Yeah, and when we get into the GOAT tennis for basketball, we look at uh, different positions, different eras. It's very hard to have that conversation. And anybody that really tries to have it, kind of comes to the conclusion that we didn't really come to any conclusion at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I'm too much of a researcher to not come to a conclusion. That's like missing a big part of my paper. And I don't yeah. get fucking jack all if I don't put the conclusion down. So we're yeah. going to need a conclusion for this. Oh, yeah. Or sorry, what I mean is we don't have a definite winner, quote unquote, winner of the GOAT. I think a conclusion that is uh, well-researched and uh, well-supported can be that uh, everybody has their everybody has their strengths and everybody has their um, statistics, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They all got their own kind of rationale for arriving at their own decisions. All right, so let's start with the majors. Okay. So uh, we can do it. Uh, I think it's kind of fun to do it major by major. Uh, so let's mm -hmm. start with the Aussie Open because that's the first one in the year. Mm -hmm. So Joker has nine, Federer has six, and Nadal has one. Okay. So what are your feelings about that? I think what you're going to see here is, um, like you said, the different players have different strengths. So if you look at the hard courts, you're going to find that Djokovic is the king of hard court. He cleaned up more than Federer and Nadal did on the hard courts, hands down. And you're going to say the same thing for Federer on grass. He's got the most grass. So I, I would, and then the same for Nadal, of course, for Clay. So I, you know, when I hear that, I'm like, holy shit, Djokovic dominated the Aussie Open and he loves that tournament. There's something about it that just jives for him. But he's also won a bunch of US Opens. Yeah, I'd like to push back for a moment uh, just to uh, pick your brain a little bit because maybe you have something to say about this. But if you're going to say Djokovic is the best on hard courts, uh, and we do call the U.S. Open a hard court even though the temperature is different, blah, blah, blah. Um, Djokovic has 11 – or sorry, Djokovic has 12 altogether with the U.S. Open and the Aussie Open. Federer actually has 11, so he's right there with them. Hmm. 
That's pretty cut. That's pretty close. And you know, if anyone could beat Djokovic during that 2011 reign where he went 88 games straight win streak, it was Federer. Federer was the only so Federer is the only one that can kind of put a dent into Djokovic's game. So something to be said about uh, his ability on hard court because he's got a big game too, fast, fast serve, yeah. uh, fast forehand. So it's got to be the game style that just fits the surface. So you, you, like Djokovic is my favorite, but I'm going to push against him because this has to be objective. Um, right now, Djokovic does have the edge on the hard courts and majors. Now, I don't have the 1,000 levels in front of me. Does Federer maybe edge him out because Federer's been playing long at this point? Uh, probably, right? If we, take, if we take all the hard courts that Federer won against all the hard courts that Joker won, Federer's probably won more at this point, but Federer is five years ahead of, six years ahead of him, sorry. Good question. I remember two years ago, uh, Djokovic won another Masters. I forget what it was, maybe Indianapolis. And they had a record broken where he won all of them. Like he has all of the Masters 1000s. And it was a record breaking thing as in like Federer doesn't. Yes. So I think that that goes along too with the most weeks at number one. Djokovic now beat Federer. He's got like one or two more weeks, I think, than Federer at number one. And Nadal's not even on the radar. He's like, you know, seventh or eighth or something like that. And you got Jimmy Connors and Sampras who are in between. So I think that what you got to remember is if you look at the ATP tour in the course of a year and you say, oh, look at all the tournaments, what surface are the tournaments on? You're going to find the majority of them are on hard courts. And therefore, you're going to have those guys who are best on hard courts cleaning up most of the titles, weeks at number. So I think it, the system kind of favors someone who's best on hard courts. And that's why Djokovic and Federer have had the most weeks at number one and probably the most titles overall, uh, but so, neck and neck with each other. So what I'll, what I'll say is that I think you'll probably agree with this. By the end of, uh, by the end of everybody's careers, I think Djokovic will have uh, maybe a couple more Aussies and maybe a couple more U.S. Opens, and I, I don't think Federer will. Uh, and I think that Djokovic will finish up, as you said, uh, the king of the hard courts. Yeah, I could agree with that on every level because Federer's done. He's 39. He's not showing up for tournaments much. And Djokovic has still got a little bit of tank in the gas. So I think he'll definitely uh, surpass. He's at 18 Grand Slams now and Federer's at 20. So he would need three more Grand Slams in his career to move past Federer. But I think that's, uh, that's doable. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the French now. So this is a little lopsided. One for Djokovic, one for Federer, 13 for Nadal. <laughs> Jeez. Not much to say, really. <laughs> Jeez. It's something to be said, man, because clay is like clay is just that unique surface, you know. You gotta you gotta really it's like grass, you know. I find like hard courts in the middle where everyone's got a lot of experience on hard court. But to be good on grass, you gotta practice for it. And to be good on clay, you gotta practice for it. I mean, I think Sampras never made it past a quarterfinal, quarterfinal or semifinal in French opens, despite being number one. Uh, for more weeks than, than most people. He was third overall. So it goes to show you that you can have a really amazing tennis career, but just not be able to master the, the, the clay. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, actually, French Open, uh, Sampras never made it past the semifinal. That's it. But, but he made it to the semifinal, which is impressive, but only it's one, yeah. only one yeah. semifinal. And I know it's be hard to check it, but I'd like to see how many titles, clay titles he's got. He might have very little, if any, uh, clay court titles. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, maybe a couple, maybe none. Yeah, we'll get Jamie uh, to check that out for us. 
yeah yeah where's joe rogan uh so not not too much to say about that nadal has just dominated the french and uh good on him um and then we have uh he's obviously the king of clay uh then we have the uh we have wimbledon and this one's interesting because i'm, I'm a numbers guy i love numbers and so what I want to point out with this one is that uh, Federer has eight, Djokovic has five, and Nadal has two. So I like how there's a difference of three in between those. Mm, yeah, there is. Yeah, so eight, five, and, and two. Mm. And you're talking U.S. Open now, right? Sorry, sorry. I meant I said Wimbledon, right? Wimbledon. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, so Djokovic has five Wimbledons. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yeah. Okay, okay, that's and a lot. Federer, Federer with eight. And so, you know... And so I know you're going to want to say that Federer is the king of the grass, and he is at this moment, um, but Joker has a chance, uh, you know, he's only 33, he has a chance to tie him or pass him, right? He does. He definitely does. The thing is, is grass is one of those surfaces where you get a Goran Ivanisevic or a big server like a Marin Cilic, um, and they can they can make your your life very difficult, no matter how good you are on, on the surface. And, and it's it's six or seven rounds in the Grand Slams, depending on if you have a bye or not. So yeah. there's Kevin a lot of matches. Kevin, Anders, Kevin Anderson, somebody like Kevin that. Kevin Anderson, Ryrie Opelka, um, yeah. John Isner. Uh, there's a lot of big boys out there now that can just kind of clean you out, even though you know you might be better than them most days of the week. Uh, yeah, so that's yeah. a tricky thing. But it brings me back to something. I want to say about those numbers, if I may. And I, I was thinking about this before the podcast. And you said 8, 5, and 2, as in Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal for Wimbledon titles. But, you know, one of Nadal's titles on Wimbledon that he won, and it's probably one of the best – I'd say it's the second best match in tennis ever. I, I know what the best one is. In, 2008, I think it was. I know you are talking about with Federer. You, you nailed it. Five sets, five hours in the dark. Uh, they couldn't even see at the end. And <laughs> here you go. Nadal's beating the best ever on grass. Um, so even though he's got two titles, I guess I'm trying to say is you could never discount him as being someone who's not good on grass. He, he just is – it's just not his best surface. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, good job on Wimbledon. And then uh, I also, you know, uh, numbers guy, I like uh, U.S. Open. So U.S. Open, there's two things about it. First of all, uh, Federer with five, uh, Nadal with four, Djokovic with three. So they're separated by one each. But the other interesting thing about the U.S. Open is that is the closest. Uh, that is like the most. Sorry, how am I trying to say this? I'm trying to say that it's like. It's like everybody has three or more, and but there's only a one a one major difference between them. That's right. That yeah. is that is that's the one where they each have the closest amount of victories on. Yeah, yeah. So they're yeah, yeah. That that says something about the the whole nature of it. And I, I know Australia and U.S. Open are the same surface technically, but the temperature in Australia makes it a whole different beast altogether. Yes, it does. Um, and you probably remember that Djokovic had the craziest breathing problems in the early stages of his career. But as you might read from his books and hear from players, he, he bitched a lot too. He was whining when really, you know, maybe you, you wouldn't find Federer and Nadal whining even if they're going through stuff. But if you're going to have breathing problems and it's 47 Celsius and you're in Saudi Arabia slash Australia, then Jesus, how, how did he pull off so many wins, Djokovic, in the, in the Australian Open there? So I think the, the U.S. Open's got more of like an even temperature. Uh, yeah. And that's going to have some type of a, a difference there. 
Well, what I will say about my favorite player of all time, Djokovic, is that he did complain uh, and bitch a lot when he was younger. I think that he needed to mature. He wasn't very mature as a young guy. I think Nadal was really mature when he was young. I think that Federer was pretty mature, but he did break a lot of rackets in his teen years, which is well documented. Mm. Yeah. Um, but Djokovic, yeah. Djokovic did uh, retire in a match against Roddick, I believe, in the Australian Open. I think it was Roddick. He retired when he was like 19 or 20, and... Uh, and then even the couple of years after that, like he was he was still good. But, you know, he had his moments where, you know, it wasn't going very well. And he started complaining and crying a little bit. But then he won nine, which is pretty crazy after that kind of start. <laughs> yeah. 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 It goes to show, man. And these guys were winning titles in their teens. Like that's that's the difference between guys today is like you say, oh, Sinner. Oh, maybe Shapovalov. Oh, maybe Tsitsipas. Or maybe um, Rublev, or maybe uh, Sverev. Maybe they're going to be the next greatest of all. But man, by the time that Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic were 18, 19, they had grand slams under their belt already. Um, and, and Nadal specifically, at 17, I think he won his first French Open. It was 16 or 17. Uh, so it's just a whole different, uh, whole different ball game for 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 them. Yeah, I think I think he was 17, but a couple weeks away from 18. Okay. I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I looked that up a little while ago. But but anyway, um, so what I will say, everything you just said, I totally agree with. I don't see any like next Federer, next Nadal, next Djokovic, except I will say one name, but I don't want to get into it because we'll save it for another podcast when we talk about Italy. Uh, Yannick Sinner. Yannick, Yannick Sinner, I think he's the youngest player. He's 18 years old. I think he's the youngest yeah. player to make a 1,000-level final in I don't know how many years. I saw the statistic on the screen when I was watching two weeks ago. So, okay. I mean, he, he's 18. He made the he made the final of the 1,000 level and, lo and lost to that little uh, Polish guy. Not little, but uh, Hercock. Um, yes. Yeah, he, he lost that. But, I mean, Yannick was right there with him, and he is 18 years old in a 1,000-level final. So he could, but let's see how the years go. <laughs> I think he's got a lot of potential. No, you're, you're pointing out a really good player. Like that guy, he's just got the game for it where he could go really, really big and clean out everyone. Um, and he's mentally tough. The big difference between um, the, the good 19-year-olds and the ones that have potential but you don't know is, is the mental toughness. Like Kyrgios being a great example. You got a guy there who at 18, 19, he could beat Nadal. You know what I mean? He could beat any of the top guys, no problem. But he just wasn't mentally there. He he was more of a, a kid in, upstairs, and that, that caused him a lot of matches and and the potential to be top top five, top ten. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to poo poo on uh, Zverev or uh, Sissy Pass and Medvedev was a late bloomer, and even Team was a little bit of a late bloomer. But um, I feel that Sissipas and Zverev were really talked up as like the next gen guys, but they didn't really have it between the ears when they were 18, 19 or 20, but they're playing better now. That's right. And I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying, but you also got to add in too that imagine being a Federer, Nadal or Djokovic, okay? And you're 19 or you're 18 and you're Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, all right? But there's some 27, 28-year-old Nadal, Federer, Djokovic's that you're already playing against that already exists. That's going to cut in and eat away from some of your titles. You know what I mean? And I'm going to say, you know, okay, Sampras, Agassi, I guess those guys were kind of there when Djokovic and, and Nadal and Federer were 16, 17, 18, whatever. But that just goes to show you that despite Sampras and Agassi still being, you know, competitive when those guys were young, 
they were cleaning up. Like there's nothing like Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, those three, you know what I mean? Agassi and Sampras, you, you can't even put them up there. No. So I'm just saying for Sinner and for Sverev and for Tsitsipas, it's just really, really tough to develop your career titles at a young age when you got the friggin' gods of the sport uh, playing against you kind of thing. Yeah, and just to push back on you a little bit, when Djokovic won his first Australian Open, he did have to beat Federer in the semifinal. So that that's that's kind of, and he was six years older, so it's like nineteen and twenty five. So that's like that's like Yannick having to beat you know one of these guys to get to his final in a Grand Slam if he does next year or this year or whatever. But so if he can't, then you know then maybe he's not on that level, which is okay. But, I mean, Djokovic did have to beat Federer or, or uh, Nadal in some of these semifinals to get to the finals, which he did when he was, you know, younger. So, Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So I guess what we're saying is however you measure it, these guys aren't going to be the next golden gods of tennis. And yeah. that's not criticizing them. It's no. just being realistic. You know, yeah. it's just saying, look, we got this amazing trio that just came out of nowhere and they're going to make history for, for centuries in the sport. Yeah, and while we're on this subject, I just want to say that some people say the big four, and I don't agree with that because uh, Murray, as good as Murray was, and I love Murray, so I never want to throw shade onto Murray, but Murray was not in their class. He just wasn't. I mean, if you want to say if you want to say big four, then you got to say big five because Murray and Wawrinka both had three majors in that whole like era, and so are we going to say big five if we're going to say big four? No, it's the big three. <laughs> it, it's right. You, you can't put those two in the same category. Warinka and Murray were awesome. And I, I would lean more on Murray as being the closer guy knocking on the yes. door to the top three because yep. he was a big threat to them. Uh, but it just doesn't it doesn't add up. You just got to look at the numbers that we've already reviewed, the Grand Slams, weeks at number one, uh, overall titles, and it just won't even come close to, to what the three have achieved. Yeah, so Murray's closer. Wawrinka is just a level below Murray, in my opinion. Um, but they were nowhere close to the big three. That's right. No. Uh, so let's move on. So those are the majors. And um, so, I mean, uh, like I said, the majors, they are what they are. Djokovic will probably finish the king of hardcore. Federer maybe will finish the king of grass. If he doesn't, that's going to be a funny conversation in a podcast for us five years from now. Um, and Nadal will definitely finish the king of clay. That's right. You know what's funny is I remember about 15 years ago I was in Korea and I was talking to some friends and they talked about tennis with me and who was upcoming, who was not upcoming. And we, we had Nadal and Federer as number one and number two then. This is 15 years ago. Like we're looking at like, the, you know, 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. And uh, everyone was saying to me, you know what, Nadal, just the way he plays – the intensity and veracity, he's not going to make it. He's not going to last long. He's going to have a good five-year sprint in his career, and he's going to have injuries and, and fall off. And Federer, who's got this smooth silk kind of play style, is going to be there for, for the longer haul. And I was saying, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I was disagreeing with them just because I know that uh, Nadal's conditioning and the ground stroking that he plays, the style he plays, he can hang in there and be effective for a long time. And it's just interesting to see that, you know, 15 years later, these guys are still on the top. Um, and, and I don't know if that's just new conditioning with ice bath therapy. Sports, sports science. Sports science. You nailed it. But it's really impressive to see how much later – 
players can play in their career. Like Agassi, yeah, he was playing competitively up into his mid-late 30s, um, but he wasn't winning Grand Slam titles at that point. Uh, it was his more early mid-30s that he, he, he ended that part. Yeah, so it's funny you bring that up because, yeah, seven or eight years ago uh, when I first started traveling the world, uh, I did – maybe you and I had a conversation about this. Maybe I had it with somebody else. But I did think that Nadal was starting to break down, uh, especially one of his knees or maybe both of his knees. Uh, uh, maybe his shoulder, his back, something was going on with him seven or eight years ago when I first arrived in Korea or something like that. And, yeah. um, and I felt that I felt that he was going to start to break down. But in the back of my head, there was this part of me that was like, you know what? He's such a fighter that I think he'll he'll figure out how to fix the problem unless it's a problem that's chronic and something he can't fix. I, I assume that he would he would work so hard and figure out how to fix the problem to play as long as he could, which he has done up to this point. Um, but unless something gets chronic, uh, I think I think he's going to find a way and fight through it because he's just such a tough dude. Absolutely. And if you look at Nadal in his early 20s before his, his knee injuries, it, it, you're totally right. It was his knees that got really bad before his knee injuries got really bad. And then after he, he kind of came back from that, you're going to see him put on about 15 to 20 pounds of muscle. And it's, it's all in the lower body, like his legs and his hips and his, his quads and his, his, his butt, his glutes. They all thickened up. Like you can just look at any picture of Nadal when he's like 23 and then look at him at 33 and you'll see that his body transformed. And uh, he was just building a lot of stabilizing muscles on his core um, that would prevent him from withdrawing due to injury. Uh, like he had to, um, you know, in, in the Australian Open final against Wawrinka, for example, in 2013 or 14, 2013, I think, 14. Uh, uh, Australian 14. Open. It was 14. I was in Australia at that time. You were, you were. And I mean, Nadal beats Warenka like nine times out of 10 and he was going to, but he just had that injury pop in and he, he couldn't do it, you know? Yeah. And uh, that, that was, that was a big thing is having, so the, the expense that you have, if you put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle is you're, you're, you're going to be a little bit slower and Nadal is still quick. But he was lightning quick before he put on those 15, 20 pounds of core muscle. Like if you watch him in my favorite match of all time, 2005, Rome-Italy final against Coria, Guadalmiro Coria, um, man, like he can move like lightning. He can move incredibly fast. And, uh, you know, it just comes with the game. You got to evolve. Yeah, for sure. You have to adapt. You got to change your game. It happens in every sport. Um, so let's talk about the tour finals just for, uh, just for 30 seconds. It's not really a big deal, but, uh, Joker has five tour finals, Federer with six and Nadal only has two. Hmm. It's a now when you court. say, it's a hard, when court. you say tour final, do you mean like the final eight? Uh, yeah, that's right. Nice. Nice. Can you go through those numbers with, with uh, me one more time? Djokovic has five, Federer has six and Nadal has two. Okay. Okay. So those numbers are actually really similar to um, the, I think the the U.S. kind of like the U.S. Open numbers, in a sense that like you got Federer and Djokovic um, who are at the top and the most titles, and then Nadal's got a couple of them, uh, but he's he's still further away from them. And I think that, again the surface plays a big part. I think the fact that it's an indoor hard court is going to uh, is going to influence those results. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, so with the U.S. Open, just to touch on that for a second, I got to give props to Nadal here because Federer has five, Nadal has four, and Djokovic has three. So Nadal actually is beating him out with the U.S. Open, which is weird because we talked about the hardcore thing. But Nadal actually has more U.S. Opens than Djokovic, even though we get to the tour finals and now Djokovic has five, Nadal with two. No oh, shit. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, you think Djokovic would have, he should have more U.S. Opens, but he doesn't. But, you know, good on Nadal to grab four of those. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. No, I didn't realize that he actually had more there in that sense. So that that's interesting because the only difference I can think of with the ATP Tour and the Grand Slams is you got three out of five sets in the Grand Slams. But ATP Tour, you got two out of three sets. But you're not done if you lose. If you lose once, you can still win the Tour. You oh, just yeah. got to win every other match. So it's a different, a different structure, different format. So that's that's interesting that those results are are what they yeah, are. Yeah, but one one big nod to Nadal is that uh, you know many of his matches, who knows what percentage it is, uh, if they're close matches, it becomes a match of attrition, and he will usually win that. That's right. That's right. What yes. do you mean by attrition, though, in, in that sense? Do you uh, mean like stamina, focus, uh, ability to rise to another level when the other person is like, "I'm so damn tired." <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Take his game up, eh? The intensity he brings. Yeah, but you know, also if you're talking the about the stamina as well. Right, right. And if you're talking about this, you're throwing in the Olympic gold medals too, eh? In terms of who has Olympic gold medals. Yeah, I didn't take a close look at that. I remember, I remember Nadal does, and I'm pretty sure Federer does. I think Djokovic was the only one that didn't have a gold medal yet, but I'd have to double. Uh, have to Djokovic, get James. So Djokovic definitely has one uh, in doubles, though. Right, right, right. Yeah, and Nadal, I don't think Nadal has one. Let's have a quick check here. Um, I can see very quickly. So um, Olympics, so... Uh, yes. So Nadal does have one. Uh, he won in 2008. Yeah. That year. Yeah. So that was this singles, right? Right. It was, he did uh, win that. And I feel like Federer doesn't have one. He has one with Varink, I believe. So he made it to the finals of the Olympics in 2012, but he didn't win. Um, but I, I feel like he won with Warinka in the doubles, but that could have been the that could have been the um, what's it called? The Davis country? Cup? Yeah, it could have Davis been Davis Cup. Cup, I'm confusing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, and then uh, So Djokovic and it's not saying doubles or singles, so I'd have to do more of a deep dive. So uh, Djokovic did win the bronze in two thousand eight. Um, yeah, he got the bronze in 2008, so I guess uh, that's the year that Nadal got the gold. Um, and that's all Djokovic did, so he didn't win any doubles. He's only got the bronze in 2008 at the Olympics. Huh. As far as I know, as far as I can okay. see. Okay, no, no, if, if you got in front of you, that, let's go with yeah. that. That's probably what it yeah. is. So uh, there's one other topic is, is, is the best matches of all time. And I think that that's something that everyone has their own kind of story for. So do you have a story for that? Do you have a best match, your favorite match of all time? Uh, my favorite match was probably, uh, what was that? When was I traveling? I was in, uh, I was in Belgium at the time. Uh, it was the it was Wimbledon. Uh, it went five sets: Djokovic and uh, Federer. And that two thousand. Okay. Two thousand nineteen. Okay. 
was it 2019 or two? I'm getting confused now. Everything is kind of a blur. Um, <clears throat> I can check. Actually, I can check right now. Yeah, it was 2019. Yeah. So I was traveling around Europe and I was actually at Wimbledon for the beginning of it. And I saw a lot of great matches. But then I continued on through my Euro trip and I was in Belgium when the final took place. And uh, yeah, Djokovic and Federer. And it went 13-12 in the fifth and uh, Djokovic won. Huh. That's a crazy, that's a crazy That match. was insane, that. man. That was insanely good. That was a really yeah. good one. Wow. Yeah, so that's my favorite match because Djokovic saved two match points, I believe, and Federer yes. was so pissed. And yeah, uh, yeah and, and Djokovic took it down and it was just phenomenal. That was my favorite match. Yeah, those two are pretty even when it comes to uh, those surfaces. Like they, I remember the U.S. Open 2011 Again, Federer had two match points against Djokovic. That big streak he went on when he was beating yeah. everyone, and he had a chance to beat him, but uh, he was pissed in the post-interview. They asked him about it, and he's like, "Oh, he was just like a junior swinging for the fences, and anyone can do that." He, he was bitter, you know. You could, yeah, you could taste it, it. It was funny. He said, "You know, some people take a some people take a swipe and they get lucky." He said something like that, and I was That's like, right. "You know what? Federer yeah. wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong." <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. But it, it also didn't give credit to the fact that uh, he got he got outplayed, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, a couple more things here before we wrap up. So uh, the 1,000 Masters. So uh, Djokovic has 36, and you're right. He has actually um, – he's captured them all, uh, which nobody else has done, I'm pretty sure. He's got all mm. nine of them in his back pocket. Um, now Federer has, so he has 36, 1000s overall Djokovic does Federer has 28 and Nadal has 35. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they've all captured multiple times, right? Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, Nadal yeah. has like multiple Monte Carlos, right? Something That's like right. that. But right. Djokovic has collected each one of them and he's got 36 in total and he's the leader, uh, with Nadal, just one behind him and Federer really trailing with 28. So good, good, good point to bring this up because I have a comment right away that pops up. The Grand Slam accomplishments I find are even for the greatest of all times. I, I respect all their accomplishments equally. I wouldn't favor any one over the other. However, the Masters 1000 titles accomplishments, Djokovic is the greatest of all time. I, I think that that is really amazing that he has them all. And that's really tough to do. And again, I was telling you why I liked Agassi more than Sampras, because Agassi could win all the Grand Slams, whereas Sampras couldn't. So I give Djokovic uh, a lot of props for having all the Masters 1000s and a little edge above Federer and Nadal on this one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I like that. Um, so let's take a look uh, also at the titles overall. But of course, Djokovic and Nadal are a little bit younger. So Federer has 103 titles overall. Uh, Nadal with 84 and Djokovic with 77. But those are going to change, of course. They will, but that's interesting because D Nadal and Djokovic are almost the same age. And Nadal yeah. still has a good 10, 11 more titles uh, than, than seven, Djokovic. Seven, seven more. Seven. 80, 84 to 77. Okay. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. And uh, Federer is, is, you know, on his last legs. And he has how many again? Was he at 90 uh, or 100? 100, 103. Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if they're going to catch him. I don't know either, man. We'll see. <laughs> huh. That's a good yeah. stat too. Because the funny, the funny thing is, like, you know, Federer has 103 to 84 and 77. But the thing with Federer, and I'd have to look into this, but it's like, did he play more 500s and 250s when he was younger? Did Nadal and Djokovic also play more 500s and 250s when they were younger, but they just didn't win? Are they going to play more going forward? Probably not. 
<laughs> Probably not. It's it's definitely more careful what they enter and they only enter in the bigger tournaments now because they're yeah. saving their their energy and time. So that's yeah. interesting stuff. So yeah, so Federer could finish with the most titles overall uh, among them, but I Connors has more than him actually, but um, Federer could finish with the most overall titles among the big 3. So that's kind of cool. Um, yes. The last thing we'll look at is the head-to-head, which I think we've talked about this before, but it's just—it's good to point out. It's interesting. So the head-to-head with Joker and Fed. Joker has Federer 27-23. Hmm. The head-to-head with Joker and Nadal. Joker has Nadal 29-27. The head-to-head with Nadal and Federer. Nadal has Federer 24-16. Oof. So it's like Joker, Joker, uh, he's got Federer by four. Joker's got Nadal by two. Nadal's got Federer by eight. Federer looks like a bum here. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting, eh? The head-to-head kind of yeah. shows that. Hmm. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the one that you have the split to, I think it's Nad- no, I think it's uh, Nadal and Djokovic. It's a difference of two. Yes, Joker's got him by two. That's and and that's of how many in total again? What's the number? Twenty or uh, something? 40, 56. So it's twenty nine, twenty seven. So yeah, those are small differences. So those are pretty oh, balanced yeah. overall. Yeah. Um, but the the fact that Federer doesn't have any of these guys, uh, you know, yeah. their numbers in the Dude, long run down, is, is down kind of four, interesting. Yeah, he's down four to Joker, and he's not going to make that ground up. Definitely no. not. And he's no. down eight to Nadal. He would never in a million years make that up. Even if he played for a million years, like he was just never there with Nadal when it came to the head to head. That's right. That's right. No, I think those numbers are going to stay pretty stable. Um, I don't think they're going to change much, especially in direction. Like I don't think one's going to overturn the other um, in, in, in our lifetime because Djokovic actually is still the strongest of the three of them in terms of performance, I think, overall. I mean, he's number one in the world. So um, it's definitely going to be uh, quite consistent. That's an interesting stat that you bring up. Yeah. So because Djokovic is my favorite player and this is my podcast, I think we can finish with the fact that Joker is the GOAT, right? <laughs> well, you know, we're going to make it we're going to make it uh, a friendly podcast. So we might leave it at that. <laughs> no, I agree with your uh, early assessment that they all have their own strengths. The surfaces are different. The players are different. Uh, they're all in the same era. I know that Djokovic, uh, sorry, Federer is five years ahead of Nadal and six years ahead of Joker, but that's still the same era. And um, so we're in the same era, but different players, different strengths, different surfaces, you know. And so, you know, they're they're all the goats, in my opinion. And I think I feel like they'll all finish up being the goats. Yes, I think that's uh, that's probably a good uh, good summary. And again, I I will give Djokovic the respect for the Masters 1000 titles. He's the goat of that. He's definitely the goat of that. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All right, sir. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe we can send this to your dad and get a third person, which actually makes a crowd. My pleasure. I think he'd be a great person to, to chime in on. He's got a good tennis knowledge. And remember, we'll, we'll follow up with best matches of all time because that Corey and Nadal match, it's worth, uh, worth a discussion as well. Ooh, what a, that's a great idea for a pod. Best matches of all time. Like we, me and you each come with like our top three or something. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Like it. I like it. All right. Thanks again, Drew, for hosting me and uh, look forward to more in the future. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. You too, bud. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.